0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Hey, good morning, friends. In just a second, I'm going to read a portion of scripture from the first letter of John. There are three John letters tucked there in the back of our scriptures. Scholars who study these texts think that these were likely written at the very same time, all three letters at the same time, by the same person. We don't know exactly who that person was. It could have been the same person that wrote the Gospel of John, or it might have been another leader in the community of disciples who received and read John's Gospel. Either way, these letters, these three letters, can be read as a kind of commentary on John's Gospel. They give us a sense of what it was like for a community to read John and try to live by John's message. Was the message of John's Gospel, do you remember? Well, in part, it's found in 15, chapter 15, when Jesus is gathering with his disciples and they are sharing a meal together and he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says, I will go away, but I will leave you with my spirit. And you as my disciples are to be a community of friends. You are to be a community of people who share in one spirit, in one life, and you will be known by the world because of your love for one another. Okay, so let's move on to the passage for today. Uh, I wanna say that there's a lot in this passage. It's really dense, and it's gonna take me a little minute to get through it, because I'm gonna read it slowly. It can be confusing if you try to hear it as a line of argument, so don't try to follow it like that. Just uh, pretend you are uh, at the beach or somewhere beautiful where there are waves, and those waves are coming gently to wash over you. I will read it slowly and give you a chance to let these words uh, find their way into your spirit. This is 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Listen for the word of God to you today. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent God's only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent the Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in God, and God in us, because God has given us of God's own spirit. And we have seen, and do testify, that God has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and we believe the love God has for us. God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as God is, so are we in the world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love we love because god first loved us now those who say i love god and hate their brothers or sisters are lying. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from God is this. Those who love God must love their brothers. And sisters also. That is the word of God for you, the people of God from 1st John this morning. We say together, thanks be to God. So there's been a fight. There's been a fight. That is the reason that the author of 1st John wrote these words there's been a bad fight among people who are supposed to love each other. I wonder if you could imagine such a thing ever happening, a fight taking place among people who are supposed to love each other. Can you imagine it? I can imagine it. Uh, I could imagine it in a family, for example, I can see in my mind's eye an argument taking place between spouses over who's really doing the work of running this household. I can, I can see in my mind's eye an argument taking place between a parent and a teenage child about whose life this really is and who's really in charge. I can even imagine an argument taking place in the loving community of the church. I can an argument taking place about the church's money and what it gets spent on or whether a staff member is doing a good enough job i can imagine that argument happening certainly we in the church have argued about the church's role in society and how we are to live in god's freedom and god's love we've argued about whether women have the gifts to lead the church. They do. We've argued about whether a follower of Jesus can love someone of the same gender. They can. We are arguing right now about whether racism is an existential threat and whether it should be the focus of the church's time and energy. It should. But we argue about those things. Fights happen all of the time in communities that are based on mutual love, in schools and neighborhoods, in churches and in families. So behind this letter of 1 John, there was an argument about belief or practice. They were arguing in that community about how to translate a crucified, resurrected Messiah into the living of their daily lives. They were working out what it meant that Jesus had inaugurated the reign of God on earth and And what that means exactly for how we are to live and what we are to think now they couldn't agree about everything about every detail of that kind of life they couldn't agree then and we really honestly can't agree now if we all just take a step back and we try to get some distance all of us would probably say well of course they would argue about those kinds of things there is there is nothing about following jesus that is obvious or even easy we're gonna disagree along the way. But remember, in this particular community, their unity was the proof that the Spirit, that God's Spirit was with them. So what happens in that community? God forbid, if there is conflict, if there is disruption, if there is an argument, if we're fighting, does it mean that God is no longer with us? actually not a bad question to be asking because we know what happens when we fight with each other we know what happens right we know exactly what happens when we fight with each other it starts with a disagreement and all of a sudden the person that we disagree with becomes a threat to us our fight or flight instinct kicks in and for those of us who decide to fight we need for that person that we disagree with to change or to relent or to go away so that we can be right we're drawn into all kinds of behaviors in our anger that the disagreeable person initiates in us we yell at them we argue with them we call them names maybe we think ugly thoughts about them in our heads we turn them into our enemy we might even try to hurt them all of this we do so that that person with whom we disagree will stop threatening us with their alternative way of thinking or being when we become angry like this our love for that person quickly gets chased away. It's hard to love someone when you have decided that they are a threat to your existence. But by that point, we don't care about love anymore. We just need to be right. In the moment, we think it's more important to be right than to be loving. So can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone ever deciding, ever, ever deciding, that they would prefer to be right instead of loving? Oh, I can. I've seen it. I've seen it this week. And the truth is, I've also done it this week. So this is the issue, right? This was the issue 2,000 years ago for the community of John's disciples of Jesus. It's the issue in our community, in our family, in our world today. And so as the writer of 1 John is putting these words to paper, he's asking, how do you respond to a situation in which people, maybe you, maybe me, have decided that we'd rather be right than loving? What do you say? The author decides to go deep, deep, deep. Into theology, deep into reflection about God. And from that deep place, the author draws out these three powerful yet simple words in Greek, theos, amy, agape. We translate them as God is love. It's not that God loves. Yes, God does do that. God loves as a verb. We know that to be true. What is being insisted here by the author is that God's being is love. What is God? What is God's essence? What is God's nature? What is God's character? What is God's isness? Is God knowledge? Well, sort of. Is God power? Yeah, kind of. Is God presence? Well, sure, but not exactly. God is love. So the author goes on, because God is love, we experience that love in everything that God does. So how does God love us? God loves us through the creation. God loves us through the gift of your body and your breath. God loves you through the arc of your lifetime. God loves you through your capacity for adaptation God loves you through the cycles of life. God loves you through the interdependence of every living being, including you. God also loves us through Jesus. God loves us in the wise, life-giving word of God that doesn't stay an abstraction, but insists on taking on flesh, our flesh. God loves us by making truth and beauty uh, uh, evident to our own eyes and ears and to our hands. God loves us in meals that feed and nourish us. God loves us in the touch that heals us, in the wisdom that ennobles us, in the justice that frees us, in the forgiveness that restores us, in Jesus' solidarity with us in our death, And in Christ's resurrection and in the new life it brings to all of us. In all of those ways God loves us. God loves us every day. God's mercies are new each morning. God pours out the Spirit into our lives. The Spirit comes to us every day, every moment of every day, like breath, like wind, a wind that blows us gently but forcefully out of ourselves, out of our selfishness, out of any inclination to narcissism or greed or doubt and into beloved community the Spirit brings us. God loves us every day. Every day, love is ours to enjoy. And so the author says, Because all of this is true, because God loves us so profoundly, it is our purpose to love one another. We respond to God's love with love for each other. We love others because love is who we are. Love is why we are put here by a loving God. It's what we are born and created to do. Yes, there are lots and lots of other things that we human beings can do. We can play baseball and we can make art and uh, we can cook meals, and we can drive cars, and we can do good work, and we can invent things. We have so many talents and so many gifts, but it all comes back to love. That's what Paul was trying to say. Poor, restless, sometimes angry Paul. Paul was searching for uh, this same idea when he said to us, if I become a master of rhetoric and give great speeches, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong. Remember that? First Corinthians. If I can see the future, Paul says, and if I understand all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, and if I have all faith, even so much faith that I can move mountains, but do not have love, he says, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have to those who need it more than I do, even if I give over my body for the greater good, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. God is love. And so we are to love one another. If only it were that easy. It's super easy for us to say, God is love. Let us love one another. And yet, of course, Each of us knows that love is hard to do. There are things that get in the way of love every day, and sometimes those things that get in the way are us, like we get in the way of loving one another. Sometimes like I said earlier, we think it's more important to be right than to be loving. Especially when we're arguing with each other about moral matters, which we do all the time. So many of you have recently or a long time ago come to the place where you Uh, Understand uh, the evils of racism, and you decide that you want to be anti racist. But the temptation in our desire to be on the right side of that moral issue is to see every one of our white brothers and sisters who isn't yet on board with the program as a racist. Not as good, not as enlightened as you are. Can you be passionate about justice? Can you be passionate about what is good and right and true without creating enemies? Can you be woke and still be loving? Can you speak the truth with love? For some of us, that's not our problem. For some of us, our problem is uh, that we decide that our love is only for certain people and not really for others. All of us do this, I'm guessing, to a greater or lesser degree. We, we kind of draw circles, and, uh, and they define our sphere of concern. I need to love these people over here, maybe a little less these people over here, and probably not really at all those people. And that's understandable, right? Uh, love can be exhausting, and, and sometimes it feels like we need to ration it. But how many times when we read the Gospels did Jesus lift up the horizon of the disciples' eyes, of their gaze, so that they would come to see the whole world as people worthy of their love, every tax collector, every Roman soldier, every person who is sick or suffering, every Samaritan, part of their own sphere of concern. Jesus did tell the disciples to love one another, to love their immediate community but he also insisted on loving our enemies as much or more when i begin to draw those circles it's hard to imagine anyone being left out of our sphere of concern some of us struggle to love because we've decided love doesn't really work we think it's not strong enough to get what we want that maybe it's too soft or too slow in its working love doesn't change things as quickly as we want or in the ways that we need in the moment so instead of love we opt for other things that feel stronger right things like control over others But control, we know, is never love. Love always leads to the freedom of the beloved. And so if you think you're loving someone, but they don't feel free in your presence, it may not be love that you're giving them. It may be control instead. Finally, sometimes we don't love because we don't feel like we have any love in us to offer. To those of us who are in that place, to those of us who have decided that we don't have any love, who feel depleted like a barren reservoir in a drought, we might get that way because we gave our love to someone and it was rejected. We might be lonely, hungry for love, not being filled up. For some of us, we have loved and lost the one we love. And the cruelty of that loss has made us doubt whether we could or should give love in that same way again. So to those of us who have given up on love because we doubt its power or we doubt whether we have enough love in us to share with others, in fact, to all of us, this letter of 1 John says this. It says we can love, all of us can love because God loves us first. God loves us first. This is maybe the best news in the entire passage, I think. The most freeing news, the most grace-filled news, the most liberating and provocative idea in this whole letter. We don't have to be the ones who generate love for others. Love always comes to us. It always comes to us. In every moment of every day, love is being poured out upon us. It comes to us as a gift. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever whatever circumstance life finds you in today, however low your reservoir of love feels, you are never anything other than God's beloved. God abides in you. God abides in you. God gives God's love to you every day. It is your birthright. It is your purpose. It is your calling. If you sit and receive with an open mind and an open spirit at any minute of any day, you can receive the love of God, the full love of God. By now you all know that I'm wary of simple answers to complicated questions. But if there were ever a simple answer for the difficult questions that life presents us, it would be this. Love. When in doubt, choose love. So I want to invite you today at some point, just after our worship is done, or later on in the evening, either by yourself or with the community of people that you love, to reflect on where you see and feel love working around you. Name it. Where do you see love? In the gift of the creation? In your relationships with others? With your family? With strangers, perhaps? In food or friendship? In justice? In kindness? In sickness even? And in death? Even in the places where you feel most angry or afraid? Is there love there? You may be surprised to find how much love there really is in your life, when you stop to name it. You may be surprised at how much love people share with you all the time, and how much love that you are sharing with others. You may be surprised to find how much more love there is yet for you and us to share. friend of mine says about this beautiful and complex and richly theological passage, that it can be summed up in these few words. God's love never lets us down. God's love never lets us go. And God's love never lets us off the hook from our sacred calling, which is to love one another. Beloveds of God, love one another, for God is love. Let the church say, Amen.